This morning we have a special guest, and it's always a privilege to share the pulpit as the, the men of God uh, who I know or in our life at the, as a life of the church get to share um, the truth of God's word with you, and you get to hear a different voice say the same things. But uh, this man is a, a phenomenal man of God. He's most recently become the president of Oklahoma Baptist University. He's a tremendous preacher, man of God. I want you to welcome to, this, to the stage my friend. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate Appreciate you. Thank you. Well, first, let me just say to Pastor, thank you so much for uh, allowing me the privilege of being here, uh, preaching to this historic congregation at Northwest Baptist Church. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, you have a gem in your pastor, and I uh, know he's been here about two years. I want you to know that we at OBU pray for you and uh, pray for your pastor. Pray that God will continue to multiply gospel ministry in this community and literally around the world as the Lord has done for decades through this church. And it's important, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this congregation remain faithful to Jesus. Why? Because that's what the Lord has called us to do. And, uh, you know, as uh, president of OBU, uh, one of the great passions that I have is to raise up uh, a generation of leaders who don't see their lives as uh, all about just getting a job and uh, gaining employment, making a, uh, some money, building a retirement, and then dying. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what life is about. What we want at OBU is an entire generation of future shapers that see their lives as distinct, as called. We want to see an entire generation that recognizes all of life, all for Jesus. That's what we want, and that's what we're trying to do at OBU. So uh, our, our desire is to help receive the the, the, the students that come from places like Northwest Baptist Church and really churches all across the country, they send them to OBU to be equipped, not just for a world-class education, which they'll get, not just so that they'll get a job after they graduate, which they will, but it's the shape of the education. All of life, all for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, if there was ever a time in our world where we need to see young women and men raised up to see the lordship of Jesus exercised in every sphere of life, it is today. All of life, all for Jesus. Now, what I wanna share with you today, oh, and let me just mention, if you're curious about what we're about, maybe you don't know about OBU, I don't wanna take that for granted, so let me just share with you, we've got some things out in the, the lobby, we've got a table and tons of free stuff, so just take it, because I don't wanna carry it home, okay? So it's all there for you, some books, some mugs, some shirts, and some, some other materials that you can take home with you uh, uh, as you leave. But let me just share with you, um, this vision of all of life, all for Jesus, requires something. Yes, it requires institutions like OBU who see all of life, all for Jesus, but it also takes churches who recognize the importance of all of life, all for Jesus. It takes pastors who understand what it means to lead a church 
all of life, all for Jesus. And do you know, even today, this morning, as I was talking with Pastor Lindley, one of the things that I was so impressed with is he was sharing uh, with me your vision, your passion, your mission. This is a church that sees all of life, all for Jesus. And it has a pastor who recognizes Jesus is not just the little dude who sits in the throne of our hearts. Jesus is king of everything. Jesus' extension of his lordship goes as far and as wide as creation itself. And that's why you as a church are to go. Go to the four corners of the world and share the good news of Jesus. That's why businessmen and businesswomen don't just do their business as usual. You see your business and leverage that business for the lordship and the glory of Christ in all things. Your pastor recognizes that. And it brings me to today's message. What kind of pastor do we need in our churches today? What do we need? Well, Peter, one of the big three, you know the big three, Peter, James, John, those closest to Jesus, part of the 12 disciples, right? Uh, one of the early leaders in the early church, Peter. In 1 Peter, he gives us a picture of the church's shepherd. So if you want to know what are the characteristics of a pastor, Peter gives them to us. And in the brief moments that I have this morning, I want us to see together what is the essence of the church's shepherds. And if you're taking notes, please do write these down. We're going to cover six characteristics of the church's shepherds. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5. And I want to walk through these uh, characteristics after I read the passage. What does Peter say? I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the un unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, all of you. Clothe, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, pray with me. Our Father, we ask that you would open our hearts, illumine our minds, open our eyes, and unclog our ears to what you have to say to us this day. In Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Six characteristics of the church's shepherd. Let me just highlight number one, humble. If you want to know what a pastor needs to be, Pastor needs to be humble. Humble. Verse 1, you see it there very clearly. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be 
revealed. And you say, well, Heath, I didn't see the word humble in there. I saw it in verse 5, but I didn't see it in verse 1. Why do you say humble and you connect this to verse 1? Well, you know, in my business, I'm a university president. Before that, I was a, a dean. And before that, I was a director of a PhD program. And uh, that whole time, I've been a, a professor of Old Testament, right? But in my job, one of the things that I look at quite often are resumes. In fact, I'm going through major hiring process right now for two big roles on the cabinet at OBU. And so I've been looking at some significant resumes. Resumes. Now, if you were to draw up your resume, one of the things you want to do is you want to highlight all of the good things that you have in your life, your experience. You might want to highlight your education. You might want to highlight all of the things and all of the accomplishments and all of the skills and the dispositions that you have as a leader. Resumes are important. Resumes build credibility. What was Peter's resume? I want you to think about this for a minute. When Peter writes his resume, what could he have said? Well, I'm the disciple that walked on water. Uh, I'm the one who Jesus talked about when he was uh, saying, upon this rock. He could have said that. He could have talked about he's one of the earliest leaders of the church, founders of the church. He could have talked about, hey, I'm one of the closest in Jesus' 12 disciples. He could have talked about this. He could have talked about that. But notice what he says in verse 1. Look at this. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as, well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. What is Peter's resume, his credentials? He could have said, the apostle to the Jews, the founder of the church in Rome. I'm the leading martyr. I'm one of the three closest disciples. I'm a walker on water at least for a little while. But no, what does he say about himself? This is what he says about himself. I'm just a fellow elder. I, I, I'm just one of those who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't tout his credentials. All those good things that he could have said about himself. He could have touted, yes, listen to me because I'm the great apostle. But he doesn't. Rather, even though he has all the prestige and the position that one would want, what does he say? He gives us a secret life of a pastor. Pastoral position, while honorable, is not an honorific above all other positions. Peter doesn't make himself out to be more holy or more important than others in the churches. Here, in this case, fellow elders or other pastors. In fact, Peter simply identifies himself. Listen to this, verse 1, a fellow elder. Hey, guys, I'm one of like uh, all of you. We're just together shepherding the flock of God. He says, I'm a fellow elder. He says, I'm one who has witnesses, witnessed Jesus' suffering. That is, I'm one who serves as Jesus serves, even to the point of death. And then he says... I'm one who lives for the future hope, serving Jesus even to the end. He's humble. 
And then we see this emphasis on humility bookended at the very end in verse 5 where he says, hey, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. What kind of pastor do we need? Well, brothers and sisters, we need a pastor who exercises humility. Now, that's good for the pastor, but does that mean that we as the congregation can be prideful? No. The pastor exemplifies humility just like the church exemplifies humility. We're not all that. We're not the be-all, end-all. Our lives, just like the pastor's lives, are a big index finger pointing to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Our lives and the pastor's lives should be about one thing, just like John. You remember John the Baptist? You remember? He must increase. We must decrease. Humility. Number two. You can see this in verse 2. The church's shepherd is devoted. Verse 2. Look at what it says. God's flock among you. Shepherd God's flock among you. The church's shepherd is absolutely devoted. Devoted in two senses. Devoted, number one, to Jesus, the Messiah, and number two, to the church of God. Notice what the text says. Peter says, shepherd God's flock. We're talking about the church. The church is not my church or your church or the pastor's church. First and foremost, brothers and sisters, the church is God's church. Now, isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that we have a heavenly Father who loves us to send us the chief shepherd, Jesus, who is the good shepherd who cares for your soul and my soul? So what does Peter say? Shepherd, not my flock, not your flock, but God's flock, the flock of God. First and foremost, this church belongs to the Lord. And so the pastor is to lead as Christ has led. The pastor is to recognize that the congregation has already an over-shepherd, that is Christ, to whom the pastor is accountable and responsible. And so every time that you think about your pastor, pray that he follows Jesus. And you should thank God that you have a pastor right now who does that who is devoted to Christ in all things, who leads his family to love the Lord Christ in all things. You have a pastor who is committed to Jesus. And as he follows Jesus, that's going to be good for this church. Devotion to Christ is a mark of a faithful pastor. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, how does the shepherd... Shepherd the flock of God. Well, the shepherd feeds the flock and leads the flock. Feeds the flock and leads the flock. You might be wondering, now why does Peter use this image of shepherd the flock of God? Did he just kind of make this up? Well, as you read First Peter, one of the things you'll find is Peter used 
images, frankly, that don't come from himself. They come from Jesus. All of Jesus' teaching. I just mentioned Jesus in the Gospel of John. When John records Jesus talking about himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. When Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, he's really riffing on something that Jesus has already said. The shepherd has already been given as the background imagery to what the pastor is all about. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.25, Jesus is called the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Peter knows Jesus. He knows Jesus is the shepherd. He knows Jesus is the overseer. He was with Jesus when Jesus taught that he was the good shepherd. And this is John 10. He was with Jesus when after the Lord's resurrection. What did Jesus tell Peter? And this is recorded in John 21 verses 15 through 17. Let me take you back to that conversation. What did Jesus say to Peter? This is after Jesus has risen from the grave and uh, he's eating a meal with his disciples. Verse 15. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said to him. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. And a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. And then he asked the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, at this grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. When Peter is talking to the church in 1 Peter 5, he's responding to the charge that Jesus had already given him. Shepherd the flock of God among you. His devotion to Jesus drove him to be a shepherd in the fashion that Jesus called him. Brothers and sisters, we need shepherds who are devoted to Jesus and follow Jesus' instructions. So the under-shepherd is devoted to the good shepherd who is Christ. But the under-shepherd is also devoted to the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. The flock. The under-shepherd, the pastor, is devoted to the people of God. Jesus helped Peter remember that the flock were under his care. The pastor was to feed and lead the sheep to hear the voice of Jesus. What exactly does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? Well, first of all, uh, Jesus' instruction and then Peter's instruction to the church of shepherd the flock of God reminds us, ladies and gentlemen, of something you and I need to remember. Are you ready for this? We need help. Let me say that again so we're all crystal clear. Waterford crystal clear. We need help. Do you know why we need help? Because the world that we are living in right now is actually a battlefield. Now, you might not think so, 
But let me just remind you that on a biblical reckoning, the world that we live, uh, in which we live, is a battlefield. There is a battle for your soul, for your life, and for mine. The Lord Christ is calling us, follow me. But do you know there's another voice in our world? And that voice is saying, follow me. Whose voice are we going to hear? We need help to discern the voice of Christ from the voice of the world. We need help. Part of the role of a pastor is week in and week out, as we come together in worship, as we scatter multifaceted witness, the pastor helps us understand the voice of the Lord Christ so we can go serve and minister and live out Jesus' lordship in every aspect of our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we need pastors to help us hear the voice of the Lord Christ. We need help. Now, some of us might not think that we need help. Some of us might think, well, I know better than the pastor. I mean, after all, I've been in church for many years. Brothers and sisters, can I just encourage you with this? That's not true. Uh, you know, when you read the book of Proverbs, for instance, one of the things you see is the book of Proverbs is for those who have been wise for many years and for those who are naive and inexperienced. No matter what age or stage you were in in life, the book of Proverbs is for you likewise. There's not a time in your life where you somehow outgrow the need of a pastor in your life. Whether you're young and inexperienced or whether you've been in the church for decades, we need the voice of the pastor who proclaims the word of the Lord, who is devoted to Christ so that we can learn together what it is to follow Jesus in all of life. The great Scottish New Testament theologian I. Howard Marshall says that the picture of the shepherd and the flock in this text is rich. He says, this text reminds us of the desperate need that we have as human beings for a shepherd. First of all, the over-shepherd, Christ, but also the under-shepherd, the pastor. And what we need to understand is the pastor reminds us of our need for the Lord Jesus. So we need pastors. Second thing that we need to understand about uh, the role of the pastor the pastor is devoted to the flock insofar as the pastor feeds the flock and leads the flock. Feeds the flock, what does the pastor feed the flock with? Not his own opinion. The pastor feeds the flock the word of the Lord. Why? Because the word of the Lord discloses Christ. And we need Jesus in all of our lives if we're going to make it through. Not only just make it through this world right now, but through the world to come. Do you understand that? There is a life beyond death. And as the pastor discloses the word of the Lord and discloses Christ, the glory of God in Christ, what we find is hope for today, but hope for eternity. He feeds 
the word of the Lord to the flock. But then he also leads the flock. The people are to embrace the mission of God. Well, how do we know about the mission of God? It's disclosed in the word of God. So the pastor expounds upon the word of God so that the people understand what it is to embrace the mission of God. Now, let me just unpack this mission of God for a little bit. Some of you, if you've grown up in church, you think being a follower of Jesus is about coming to gather together on a Sunday morning, and it is. But do you know, how much of your time do you live outside the walls of this church? 99%. How many hours do you think that is? I mean, that's a lot of hours. So is Jesus' lordship in your life somehow confined to these four walls, and then when you leave, he's off his throne? Absolutely not. Ladies and gentlemen, when we look at the, gospel, uh, the, the Gospels, or when we look at uh, Paul's writings, for, for instance, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, or if we even look at 1 Peter, one of the things that we see, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus is King and Lord of everything. Our friendships, our families, our business, our communities, our workplace, our politics. He's king of everything. And so one of the roles of the pastor, as the pastor draws us to the mission of Jesus, the pastor leads us to promote Jesus with our lives. All of life, all for Jesus. But the pastor also leads us to proclaim Jesus with our lips. Proclaiming Christ with our lips, promoting Christ with our lives, holistic mission under the glory of God in Christ. Lead the church, feed the church. The church's shepherd is humble, devoted. Number three, eager to work. In the second part of verse two, the text says that uh, the, the shepherd should exercise oversight. This is the Greek word episkopos. The church needs help. The church needs oversight. That's the bottom line. But how should the pastor do it? How should the pastor provide oversight? Well, not exercising oversight out of compulsion, but willingly ready to do the work. This is built out of a uh, theology of work. That is, the pastor recognizes that work is a gift from God. Now, some of you might not think this, work is a gift. Go to your workplace, maybe you have a boss that's hard to deal with. We've gotta remind ourselves, work is a gift. It's a good thing. It's, it's something that God has given even in the Garden of Eden. So too, pastoral work is a good thing. It's a gift. And the work of a pastor, believe it or not, is extraordinarily difficult. Some of us might think, well, I know I could do this better than the pastor. I mean, how hard can this be? You might have heard this. I mean, if all I had to do was uh, work one day a week, that would be gold. Can I just share with you, my, my, my father was a pastor for 40 years. Two of my brothers are pastors. Uh, I, I've served six churches in three states and two countries. My friends, if you think the pastor works one day a week, you are grossly mistaken about the role of a pastor and about the work of a pastor. Do you know a pastor and their family give their lives to this church? 
They give their very lives, their heart, their life, their prayer. They're woken up in the middle of the night praying for you. They go to bed with you as the church of God on their lips. Heath, how do you know this? Because I've lived it. And I know your pastor lives it too. It's a seven day a week, 24 hour a day, 365 day a year job. You don't know what it is to care for the souls of the flock until you wear the mantle of a pastor. You don't know. This work that they uh, commit themselves, they do it willingly, eagerly. It's an act of service and love and devotion. One cannot know the weight until one bears it. And what does Peter say? Not under compulsion, that is, I'm forced to do this, but willingly, I get this. In other words, called by God to the work of shepherding. One cannot do the work of a pastor until one has been called to do the work of the pastor. One serves the church only half-heartedly if one does this work out of financial gain. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the truth. A true pastor will not have to be convinced to work. A true pastor will not have to be cajoled to work. Rather, the mission of God and the call on his life will be eager to lead and feed the congregation of God. The challenge will be for the congregation, frankly, to keep up. You're going to have to convince them. Your job is going to be to keep up with them, eager to serve, eager to give, eager to, lead, eager to love, as, look at what Peter says, as God would have you. The church's shepherd is humble, devoted, eager to work, and driven by love. Look at the third section in verse 2. He says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not out of greed for money, not out of greed for money. Some of your versions have something like, uh, not out of filthy lucre or something like that. That's what the old versions used to say, filthy lucre. Pastoral ministry is not worth the money because the price is too great. But you might think, well, the pastor's doing this for money. Well, financial gain should never be the overarching vision of the life of the pastor. Rather, they think in a different kind of valuation, not financial gain, but future reward. Do you see what Peter says? The vision is for the future, the crown, the goal, to hear Christ say, well done. We do see love of money in the church, both the ancient and the modern church. Why is Peter saying this? Because apparently there was a temptation to uh, do this for money, even in the ancient church. It's not just a new thing. Well, where did per uh, Peter learn the perils of money? Oh yeah, Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in his teaching? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Paul, remembering Jesus' words, said this in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus said it. 
Paul said it. What about the writer of Hebrews? The writer of Hebrews says this as well. Listen, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So what Peter is drawing our attention to is something that's true. Our lives should never be driven, much less the pastor, by financial gain alone. Okay, he cool. I know what we'll do as a church. We'll keep that pastor humble and poor. That'll fix it. We'll be the governor on the pastor's love or lack of love of money. We'll keep the pastor poor to keep his mind on the main thing. We'll be careful here. Avoiding the love of money does not equate to a love of poverty. In fact, the same Paul who says, be careful of money to Timothy, listen to what he said to Timothy as well. This is in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. He says, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. See, my friends, there's a difference between a pastor loving money and the church being stingy. You give honor where honor's due and pay a pastor for the work he does. The pastor shouldn't be eaten up with a love of money, but he, got, he does do his work eagerly. Eagerly, why? Out of love. Love for Christ. Love for the church. And listen, this is something that I know your pastor is passionate about. Love for Christ. Love for you, the church. But listen to me. Love for the lost. Why does the pastor do the work? Out of love. Love for the lost. Our eyes should ever be out in the community, looking in your neighborhoods, in your businesses, in your friend groups, for those who are far from God. The pastor has a love for the lost and drives the church on the church's mission to reach the lost. Not out of financial gain, but brothers and sisters, out of love. The church's shepherd is humble, devoted, eager to work by love and exercises appropriate authority. Verses 3a. What Peter says is not lording over the church. Why? Because it's not his church. It's Christ's church. So he exercises authority, episkopos, but doesn't lord that authority over the church. You see, Jesus taught his followers that lording over people is not how the people of Christ are to live. It is how those who don't know Christ live. You see this in Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For the Son of Man didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There is a dark side of leadership, not just in the church, but in our world. And that dark side of leadership is the notion that the organization exists for the leader. And so what the leader then begins to do is lord the authority over everyone. 
Well, according to Harvard researchers, that is the dark side of leadership. Notice what Peter says. Don't lead that way. Not lording it over them, but what? Leading in such a way where Christ's lordship is evident to all. If we were to link what Peter is talking about with the dark side of leadership, we'd characterize it as um, kind of moving against behaviors. These behaviors that uh, move against the congregation and it's unhealthy and it's terrible. Overpowering and manipulative strategies that aggrandize the self while demean the congregation. The pastor who elevates and manipulates and lords over his congregation is ungodly. But the pastor or the elder who leads in such a way that serves, that draws the church to the mission of God, hey, listen to this, that doesn't put up with foolishness and ungodliness in the church, that's the pastor who is leading appropriately. People don't follow position, but they do follow the one who sets the example. So it's not surprising why Peter says that pastors must be an example, a living picture of what the life of faith looks like for the congregation, and a living example of what it means to love God and love one another and and love the lost. But also, the pastor who leads by example also knows what it is to say, hey guys, I'm sorry, I got that one wrong. I'm gonna be humility, uh, exercise humility. I'm also gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be careful with my words and all of those kinds of things. Where does Peter get this idea of being an example? Where do do we get that? Oh yeah, once again from Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, look at what Peter says. For you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The pastor follows the humility and service of Christ, and the church looks at the pastor and sees and smells the fragrance of Christ. I love this. The church's shepherd is humble, devoted, eager to work, driven by love, exercises appropriate authority, and finally, the pastor is focused on the future hope. Look at verse And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. Church's shepherd does not base his hope on the opinion of others, the accolades of the congregation. Hey, listen to this. Are you ready? Or the critique or criticism of the people either. The true pastor, the shepherd, does not base his hope on the opinion of others, the accolades, or the criticism of the congregation. The true pastor bases his hope on that unfading hope, the crown. Look at this, the crown of glory that that pastor will receive when the chief shepherd appears. Some of us, and I know this because uh, not only have I served in churches, my brothers have, my dad has too, I've had people in uh, congregations when I was growing up come up to me and tell me all the reasons why my dad is getting it wrong. Thank you very much for that, you know. I appreciate that. 
I've had uh, church members be mean because their preferences were being dismantled. I don't like this style of music. Well, I don't like meeting in small groups. Well, I don't like this. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like... And preferences then set the agenda for what the church is about. A true pastor keeps the eyes on the prize. That is the future hope. I've also had church members, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, church members decide um, what they need to do to correct the pastor. To keep the pastor in check. To give the pastor the right motivation. Now look, healthy encouragement is always a good thing, but here's what I want to encourage you with. A pastor who's doing it right, and I think you've got a pastor who's doing it right. The weight of Christ's approval far outweighs the approval of this congregation. Future hope, eyes on the main thing. Church, it's good and right that the shepherd of this flock is looking to the future hope. If he takes his eye off of the future hope, that unfading crown of glory, then he won't be able to shepherd you well. If he doesn't listen to the first of the voice of Christ, he's not going to minister the word of Christ to you very well. What does it mean for you as a congregation? You need to allow your shepherd to hear from the Lord, look to the future and lead in a way that honors our Lord Jesus. How do you know if he's honoring the Lord? If he's following scripture and you see the fruit of the spirit in his life. Brothers and sisters, what you need to know is the Christian faith is at heart a future faith. It's not content with the present because we know the chief shepherd will appear and make all things new. In the days in which we live, we live out today in light of tomorrow. That great future hope, new heavens, new earth, when Jesus sits on his throne and he says, Behold, I make all things new. Our temporary pain and struggle today is measured in light of the weight of glory that is to come. New heavens, new earth. Jesus on his throne, our forever home. Six characteristics of a faithful shepherd. Maybe the Lord has grabbed hold of you because some of these characteristics you recognize in your pastor and you might have been critical. Maybe you just want to encourage your pastor. Listen, my friends, we need pastors. We need those who minister the word. Maybe today's message has gotten hold of you because you realize, listen, I'm not humble. I'm not devoted. I, I don't have my heart and head and life set on that future hope. I need to conform my life to Christ. Maybe there's some in this room that don't know Jesus at all. Maybe there's some who are watching that don't know Christ because you've never submitted your heart and life to him. Listen, if you want to have life secured now, and for eternity, give your heart and life to Jesus. Turn from your way and make Christ Lord now. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray over you. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear what you have to say. Whatever it is that you want us to do, the answer is yes 
right now.